You're going to love this. Just love it. Scared at all from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ up in Oregon, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, the iTunes. The Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Affiliates in Parts Unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. With you for another thrilling adventure of the broadcast. Glad you could join us. Uh, of course, it has been all about Donald Trump all weekend long. Nothing else matters, as has uh, been the case since Donald Trump came. And I think the day he got in the race, we said uh, Donald Trump has just broken the GOP primary. Also seems like he's broken pretty much everything else in this country because there's a lot of important news going on that uh, didn't even make it onto the weekend shows. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of those issues, and I'm going to put it right up front here as soon as I can, because this is, you know, an issue that has been a concern for more than a decade. We have a now a huge new report in this issue, and I don't even think it, it came up on the uh, on the weekend news shows. Dr. Yosef Brody is going to be joining us from the Psychologist for Social Responsibility, the group representing the whistleblowers who were trying to raise hell about the complicity, the collusion of the American Psychological Association with the Bush administration in the torture program after 9-11. He's going to be joining us to talk about this stunning new report that basically vindicates all of those psychologists who have been trying to raise hell about the way the APA was in league with the Bush administration when it came to torture inside the CIA and the uh, the DOD, the Department of Defense, after 9-11. So we're going to be talking to him momentarily. But uh, aside from that and aside from uh, the other things that uh, Trump has kept you from learning about, uh, there was actually another disruption of a sort in the... Uh, in the partisan primary contest over the weekend that you probably did not hear about. At least it wasn't reported much in the corporate mainstream media. GOP is not the only place where there is discord inside the party. But, of course, you only generally hear about the stuff in the Republican Party because that's pretty much the way the corporate media works here in the U.S. But the other intra-party disruption, other than Donald Trump, uh, took place on the Democratic side as things got very heated at a progressive activist conference in Phoenix over the weekend. Uh, 
as two different Democratic uh, presidential candidates were largely shouted down and shut down by other progressive protesters. We'll cover both of those stories, including Donald Trump. Don't worry, we're going to get to Donald Trump and some thoughts on that. And you you may want to stay with us, if only for that, just to hear how what Donald Trump had to say about John McCain not being a war hero, how that can actually be blamed on, really, seriously, Al Franken. What? Yes, I know. You'll have to stay tuned to find out. Okay. It's all Al Franken's fault. Hi, that's Desi Doyen, of course, our uh, our producer here, and my co-host on the Green News Report. And I mentioned that, Desi, because at the end of our last show, we read a, uh, a, a listener mail from someone. Uh, and you can write to us, by the way, anytime, bradcast at bradblog.com. This listener wrote to, uh, to compliment our, our coverage of climate news. And said the but said the term climate change is too benign. I think everyone should start calling it climate crisis or climate emergency to help people realize this is not a next century problem. Perhaps you can start the movement. Now, of course, it's not our job to start movements. It's our job to uh, cover the news and let everyone know what's going on since the corporate mainstream media does such a lousy job at it and has for years. But, you know, uh, Desi, he makes a good point, uh, this guy, and it was underscored by two things that happened that could have affected us over the weekend. I mentioned uh, b- before we went away for the uh, for the weekend that it was my birthday. Yes. And we were uh, thinking about what to do. We uh, had uh, one thing we could have done was gone up to Las Vegas. We're out here in Los Angeles. It's just a, what, four or five hour drive up to Vegas. Right. There is one road pretty much that you can take to get to Las Vegas. Interstate 15. Right through the desert. And uh, that is the interstate that right around the time that we would have been going to Vegas had we done that over the weekend, it caught fire. Yes. The road caught fire. And there was no place to go for the motorists. The, d- the, the drought out here in California is so bad, is so historically bad. Wildfires are now breaking out all over the place. And a wildfire, what did it, it jumped, jumped right. the highway? It, it jumped the highway at a place where there is no other place for the cars to go. It is on a ridge and it's a, it's a road that there is no escape from it. And they were in deadlocked and standstill traffic. So it was quite apocalyptic. Yeah, it looked like a scene from uh, Walking Dead. These yes. people just walking down the highway. Traffic backed up for hours. And what, about 30 cars? I think it was 20 cars, two interstate, two uh, 18-wheelers and 11 houses. It caught fire. Yes. Destroyed. The cars caught fire on on the highway. Now, thankfully, no one was hurt. That's the good news. That and and uh, thankfully, we our car was not burned. We were not on our way we to there. Las Vegas. Uh, we did not do that. The other thing we thought about doing was going out to the Netroots uh, conference, uh, the Progressive Activist Conference out in Phoenix to uh, cover that. We didn't do that either, and that it turns out to be a good thing because when we would have been coming back. On uh, I-10, which is also like kind of the only way to get there from Los Angeles, coming back from Arizona, from Phoenix. uh, And this just happened today, last night, Sunday, Sunday. um, The road collapsed because sure enough, as dry as it's been out here, the very next day after the highway caught fire on the way to Vegas, a huge storm finally came in. Part of this hurricane hitting Mexico, uh, Dolores down there came up far enough here A deluge of rain caused a flash flood that washed out the interstate bridge, again, in a spot where there were no exits, 
no escape for the motorists. Luckily, only one person was injured, but it knocked out the entire freeway, and it has been shut down indefinitely. And it's a it's a scary proposition when you see how this climate disruption, mm-hmm. how our infrastructure, our aging infrastructure, is not only aging, it is unprepared to deal with these sudden and extreme amped-up impacts. Unprepared despite the fact that for years, decades now, scientists have been warning about this climate disruption that would come thanks to global warming, thanks to climate change. And we are now in the middle of, as that writer said, I would call it a climate crisis based on, you know, these events that are now happening all across the country, two of which could have affected us. Uh, Amazing drought and amazing floods, Uh, drought and fire and 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 uh, floods. Uh, Just uh, just two small examples. Thankfully, I don't think anyone was hurt in Arizona as well. Right. But just two examples of what scientists have been warning about and what this nation has, by and large, been ignoring now for decades. Coming home to roost. Going to be harder and harder to, uh, to ignore in the days ahead. Speaking of things that we have been ignoring, <laughs> we have been speaking for... Well, I almost said many months, but I should say many years about the uh, post 9-11 CIA torture program that ran uh, during the Bush administration was, in theory, uh, stopped uh, by the Obama administration, if not before then. Uh, Well, we've got a new development in that, along with the uh, torture report that came out from the Senate last year. 10,000 pages uh, finding just Hesk uh, torture carried out during the so-called enhanced interrogation program by the CIA, by the Department of Defense on our behalf. In addition to that, we now have a new report, a new 542-page report that details a lot more of what was going on behind the scenes of this program. According to The Guardian's Spencer Ackerman, the torture scandal consuming the U.S. Premier's Professional Association of Psychologists has now cost three senior officials their jobs, part of a reckoning that reformers hope will lead to criminal prosecutions. As the American Psychological Association, or APA, copes with the damage reaped by an independent investigation that found it complicit in U.S. torture, The group announced that its chief executive officer, its deputy CEO, and its communications chief are no longer with the APA. All three were implicated in the 542-page report issued this month by former federal prosecutor David Hoffman, who concluded that APA leaders concluded with the uh, colluded, I should say, with the U.S. Department of Defense and aided the CIA in loosening professional ethics and other guidelines to permit psychologists to participate in torture. The APA framed the departures of these uh, three top officials, longtime executives, in fact, uh, Norman Anderson and Michael Honecker. They described two of them as retirements. Rhea Farberman, who served as the APA's communication director for 22 years, resigned, the APA said. Anderson, Honecker, and Farberman joined Stephen Banke, the APA's former ethics chief. Keep his name in mind here. Uh, who was also implicated in torture in the first wave of APA departures as the organization now seeks to rebuild its credibility. According to the New York Times, James Risen, who was responsible for bringing a lot of this story to light over the past several years, the association's ethics office, the APA's ethics office, 
prioritized the protection of psychologists, even those who might have engaged in unethical behavior, above the protection of the public, according to this new report. The association's ethics director, Stephen Bankey, coordinated the group's public policy statements on interrogations with a top military psychologist, according to the report, and then received a Pentagon contract to help train interrogators while he was working at the APA without the knowledge of the association's board. After the Hoffman report was made public, the American Psychological Association issued an apology. Finally, only 10 years after all of this went down, they said the actions, policies, and lack of independence from government influence described in the Hoffman report represented a failure to live up to our core values. According to Nadine Caslow, a former president of the organization, she said in a statement, we profoundly regret and apologize for the behavior and the consequences that ensued. The evidence supports the conclusion that APA officials colluded with DOD officials to, at the least, adopt and maintain APA ethics policies that were not more restrictive than the guidelines that key DOD officials wanted, according to the report. APA chose its ethics policy based on its goals of helping DOD, managing its public relations, and maximizing the growth of the profession, all, of course, uh, in violation of what would appear to be the ethics policies of the, uh, uh, the APA, not to mention the psychological profession as a whole. The gist of the allegations of critics, according to the Hoffman Report, was that APA made ethics policy decisions as a substantial result of influence from a close relationship with the DOD and the CIA and other government entities. The DOD and CIA received permissive guidelines from the APA to proceed with enhanced interrogation tortures very quickly after 9-11 when an ethics panel was convened and within a week found that it was perfectly permissible for psychologists to work in these torture programs. But critics immediately attacked APA for their complicity, and APA went about firing back. And they did this for years. According to the Hoffman Report, the APA staff and members who worked most closely on APA ethics policies are, as they have told us, this is in the report, American heroes. And the fact that they have been attacked rather than thanked for their service to the profession and the country is a tragedy. This is in the report. The APA's critics charge that the refusal to strictly limit, if not prohibit, the involve, involvement of psychologists in national security interrogations on ethical grounds created an indelible stain on the entire profession and a warped and improper definition of what it means to be a psychologist. Uh, speaking of those critics, I wanted to bring on uh, someone who has helped lead the charge in this matter over the past decade, the uh, Psychologists for Social Responsibility have been very outspoken on this matter and the way that psychologists participated in the program and specifically the way the APA seemed to go along with whatever it was the DOD wanted it to do. Joining us now is Dr. Yosef Brody, clinical psychologist and president of the Psychologists for Social Responsibility. He is based in New York City. The Psychologists for Social Responsibility is an independent nonprofit organization that applies psychological knowledge and expertise to promote peace, 
Social Justice, Human Rights and Sustainability, according to their website. Dr. Yosef Brody, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Now, are you a uh, are you personally a member of the American Psychological Association? Not anymore. I'm not. No, I left in 2005. Did you leave in 2005 because of this very issue I've been describing? That was a big reason, yeah. So what exactly was the APA's role, as you understand it, uh, with the CIA and, and uh, Department of Defense's in Enhanced Interrogation Program, their torture program? What, why was the APA uh, important to that program? Well, let me start by saying that there's a uh, long history here between the APA and U.S. military and intelligence agencies, going mm -hmm. back about a century. Um, but the the history of post-9-11 U.S. torture is the real story here. And what the Hoffman Report is describing is a complete and utter failure of psychological ethics. What it's saying is that what we critics have suspected for about a decade now, that senior staff at APA have been incurring favor with the Pentagon and the CIA, most egregiously with the Pentagon, according to Hoffman, uh -huh. effectively facilitating torture. And as you say, to top it off, they've engaged in this very sophisticated, uh, decade-long cover-up. You ask why would the APA be important for the U.S. government? Uh -huh. Uh, why would the DOD art need to articulate these new ethics policies for the APA? They, they needed to uh, have protection as the U.S. government uh, was putting together its interrogation program. Uh, they understood very well that there were legal liabilities, and by having health professionals involved, uh, they could protect themselves from these legal liabilities. So the buzzword here, the, the phrase that was being used, um, at DOD and APA was safe, legal, ethical, and effective. And they understood that if psychologists could be in the room, and psychologists were not just in the room, but uh, often were um, or sometimes doing the actual uh, torturing, if, if, if they could be in the room, they would, they would somehow provide some kind of safety mechanism to keep it safe, legal, ethical, and effective. And by doing that and by getting psychologists involved, um, they, could, they could have this protection. And that protection was was granted, it seemed, very quickly after a uh, an uh, and I have to say a so-called ethics panel was was convened to work with the CIA and the Department of Defense on this program. It seems like they gave them uh, the, the green light that they were looking for, whether it was uh, a legal cover or just PR cover. It seems like uh, they granted them everything they wanted. Uh, Stephen Banky was the ethics chief of the APA. He was the ethics chief going back since, uh, since 2000, and he, said, he was said to have very aggressively supported the Department of Defense program. Do you have any sense whether this was done as a, uh, you know, a, a, a personal matter of his, uh, of his own? Uh, the report talks about you know, contracts that he received. Uh, or was this something that was really uh, felt by the APA that they wanted to get behind the effort after 9-11, essentially to, you know, go after the bad guys and, and they were willing to look the other way? Do, do you have any sense of what the APA was thinking at the time? Well, what Hoffman details in this report, and it's a very long report, mm -hmm. um, very detailed and based largely on, on APA emails, but also um, interviews with, almost everyone involved, um, 
this is much more than about one guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benke clearly was the the impresario here. He was the guy who was uh, the chief of staff, as as Hoffman put it. Um, but this is really about a culture of corruption at the top of the largest organization of psychologists in the world, and there are a lot of questions that need answering at this point as, as to uh, how this could happen. There is a culture of corruption, at least as uh, as the Hoffman report details. I mean, he talks about uh, not only did they appear to go along with the DOD, but, and this is where uh, I think you guys come in and, and uh, you know, a colleague of yours at the uh, Psychologist for Social Responsibility, uh, Jean Maria Arrigo, we, we spoke to her. She has been highlighted in this story as a hero for speaking up and speaking out against this. But when she and other critics of the program spoke out, not only did the APA disagree with them, but they uh, they they worked to spike ethics complaints, uh, I- including, you know, voter irregularity on motion passing. Uh, Stephen Banke was uh, allegedly ghost wrote statements opposing members. Dr. Rigo was personally smeared by Banke and others. I mean, yeah, this is uh, not just bad decisions by the APA, it seems, but a culture of corruption that went on for a decade inside this organization. I, I think that's true. And, you know, Jean Maria Rigo is the real is the real American hero here. Without her, we wouldn't we wouldn't know any of this. And, you know, we've had a lot of really dedicated psychologists who have been working for a long time trying to bring the truth to light here. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is this is very much about a systemic problem within this organization. And psychologists, most psychologists, don't want to have anything to do with torture. Obviously, this is the this is torture is diametrically opposed to what psychologists believe in um, health, well-being, uh, the promotion of um, of of personal change, the. Therapy and, and, and torture are diametrically opposed, for example. So, you know, this is something, this is clearly uh, political. It, there are financial considerations that, that were involved here. Um, there are uh, clear, um, longstanding uh, institutional uh, links that, mm-hmm. that go back a long way. Um, and there are a lot of questions that still need answering about how, this can happen. We need to make sure it never happens again. And we need to make sure that uh, torture never happens again. So the, the APA has a lot of work to do to move toward real genuine change. And that's going to involve uh, a difficult process of, of examining uh, institutional structures, of examining the culture, of examining uh, the procedures, how deci- decisions get made. And the APA needs to begin to take this seriously. And um, that's really still up in the air whether the, whether whether they whether they really get it. What frankly. what what was the role of the psychologist for social responsibility and and Jean Maria Arrigo, who you uh, characterize as a hero in this story? What was uh, your group's role and her role specifically in bringing this to light, in critiquing the APA and and helping to bring about the Hoffman report? What what did you guys and what did she do? in specific, to, to get us to this point? Well, Jean Maria was uh, appointed to this task force that you mentioned, the, the Presidential Task Force 
on psychological ethics and national security. And this was the the APA task force uh, that basically changed uh, ethics regulations allowing psychologists uh, to be involved in torture chambers. Mm-hmm. The DOD wanted psychologists involved for the reasons I mentioned before, to protect themselves uh, from legal liability, international law, uh, prescribes torture, so uh, psychologists needed to be involved. Jean Maria is on that task force. Uh, little did she know, uh, the conclusions of the task force were basically decided before uh, the task force met. And the, the, the task force was packed with, uh, with members who had uh, links or who were working with uh, government agencies, including the U.S. military. And uh, so there was a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, machinations that Jean Maria and, and two others on the task force uh, didn't know about, the, the two other dissidents on the task force. And what Jean Maria did was to, was to blow the whistle. And, and bring this to light. And, and since that time, um, uh, we've had a, a lot of people who have been uh, very upset. There's been a lot of questions. Uh, there's been facts have been uh, coming to light as as the years have been going on. But now the the facts, the the, the crucial facts here are, are uncontroversial in terms of uh, what the senior staff and some of the most powerful psychologists in the country. Uh, at APA and associated uh, with APA have been up to. And it amounts to, I mean, we're talking about war crimes here, ultimately, and we're talking about a health professional association. So, you know, mm-hmm. psychologists, is, it, psychologists are, um, they depend on the public trust um, in order to serve the public, and so we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, and you know this whole thing. I mean, this is one of the reasons why this part of it actually blows my mind because we are dealing with health professionals. This should be sort of a a no brainer, I presume, that uh, psychologists sort of take the same uh, uh, Hippocratic oath that all uh, uh, medical doctors do. I, I don't know. Am I right about that? By the way, uh, psych- psychologists have a, a core principle mm-hmm. in, involved in our work of do no harm. Yes. Okay, and and you regard this as non-controversial at this point. Um, obviously, that's not the case, because uh, in the case of Stephen Banky, who was the ethics chief who is uh, sort of at the center of a lot of this, he is now being represented uh, in the media, and I guess legally, by Louis Free, the former FBI head. Uh, he called the Hoffman Report on Sunday a gross mischaracterization of the intentions, goals, and actions of Stephen Banke, who has obviously now been either fired or resigned. That seems unclear at this point. But a former FBI chief is going to personal bat for this guy. This seems to me to be continue to be controversial, even though in many ways, obviously, Jean Marie uh, Maria Arrigo and her uh, colleagues have been vindicated. But there's still been no real accountability for what was carried out, for torture. We're seeing some people fired at the APA, but is that enough accountability? What should happen? Uh, and and should more than just uh, folks at the APA be held accountable for what you describe, I believe accurately, as war crimes? Well, yeah, th- this is a key question that you ask. And, and the bigger picture is that we have not seen any accountability for for. The U.S. torture program and for U.S. torture post 9/11, and and that's a travesty. 
and and we need to have truth commissions. We need to see accountability. Um, the idea of moving forward without looking back um, doesn't make any sense in terms of having uh, a, a society that really believes in fundamental moral principles and in human dignity. We need um, to hold uh, government officials accountable when it comes to and, and all the people that were involved in in the in the actual in the actual torture. When it comes to uh, APA and it comes to psychologists, um, this is a related but um, somewhat different question. The APA has begun to uh, uh, let go, allow to resign, uh, move up the retirement of, of several key officials uh, who were involved in and implicated in, in the Hoffman Report. Um, however, um, there are others that remain, and um, they seem to be, the APA seems to be digging in its heels here. And, you know, I was, I was actually optimistic when this report first came out that mm-hmm. we would see a real um, change of approach from the APA board. I thought that they really would begin to understand, you know, what what's going on here, because now that all the facts are on the table, so that may have been uh, somewhat naive of me, but I, I think what's going on here is that they're beginning to um, just move to the next phase of their PR strategy, and that's what we've seen over the last 10 years, is a really sophisticated PR strategy. And so you, the facts are uncontroversial. People are going to de- deny the facts. I don't expect that Benke's lawyer um, is, and I understand there may be some family connections. I don't quite understand um, the connections there between uh, Free and, and Benke, but they're working together to deny the facts. There are other former presidents of the APA who are directly denying the very clear evidence that Hoffman has found and presented in, in his report. And that's what I would expect them to do. But what we need to do is to keep pushing in order to bring uh, morality back to psychology and regain the public's trust. Dr. Yosef Brody, I've got just a minute or two here left, and I, I've got one or two more questions I want to get to you. Um, can the APA, which, uh, you know, as the, the British Guardian described it, the U.S.'s premier professional association of psychologists, can the APA recover from this after this massive report, 542 pages? And I guess the bigger question is, should they recover? Should they be allowed to recover? Or at this point, should a new group take its place? And uh, should the APA be put out to pasture for for what it's done? I mean, this this was not just, you know, one issue, one matter. This went on and on and on for now more than a decade. So what of the APA, what would your group, the Psychologist for Social Responsibility, like to see, like to see become of the APA at this point? Well, at, at this point, we'd like to see some genuine change uh, within the APA. The future of the APA is in question. Um, you know, we're committed to going forward with or without the APA, and I think we have an opportunity here. The entire profession of psychology has an opportunity to really change course toward a more progressive vision of psychology, one that prizes human rights and integrity and social justice, you know, whether that, whether that happens with the APA or without the APA is, is, I think, still up in the air. The APA um, is 
going to be deciding that, I think, and hopefully uh, with the members of the APA. There are most psychologists, the vast majority of psychologists, um, are against any kind of torture or abuse or anything to have anything to do with uh, these kinds of uh, clearly unethical practices. What, what the part of the problem that that we've had over the past decade is that the people who stand against uh, these practices um, have been manipulated by the APA board and have remained silent uh, for other reasons. Um, so what we need and what we hope and what we hope to see and the kind of transformation we hope to see is that psychologists will begin to speak up uh, and, and will begin to um, take a stand uh, about what they believe in, about the, the core values of, of the profession, the core values of our society. And, you know, that's what's going to determine the course for the APA is what psychologists do in the APA to, to change course. Dr. Last, yeah, last question for you. The, uh, and you had cited, uh, really, uh, the president of Barack Obama's absurd notion of looking forward and not back, and, you know, not back at people who broke the law, committed war crimes. It's absurd. Um, Catherine Hawkins, National Security Fellow at OpenTheGovernment.org, told The Intercept this week that the military and CIA's insensitivity to professional medical and psychological ethics continues to this day. If the medical and psychological community, she says, wants to make real amends for clinicians' role in the torture program, they should put serious pressure on the U.S. government to change this. What do you believe that the Psychologists for Social Responsibility, your group, uh, should do now to get the government to make a change? And what specific changes would you like to see the government make? What what do they need to do? What does the, the president need to step out and do in regard to what she describes as uh, continuing ethics issues to this day? Uh, well, what we really need is a ban on health professionals being involved in uh, interrogations of any kind. We need, we need legis- legislation to make that happen. Um, that's, what, that's what I would like to see. Beyond, uh, of course, the accountability, we need criminal prosecutions, um, but w- we really need to make sure that uh, these kind of uh, abusive interrogations, torture, uh, does not uh, ever continue, does not ever happen again. Um, and so we need legislation to to block that. We, you know, it would it would be helpful to have some uh, to talk about the truth. I mean, the fact that a lot of the a lot of the people who were involved in this program are now sitting pretty in comfort uh, without really much concern for criminal prosecutions, uh, much less the press, is a big problem. It is a big problem, and I appreciate uh, your group and uh, Stephen Soldis and Jean Maria Arrigo uh, w- with your group, with the Psychologists for Social Responsibility, uh, trying to raise hell about this for a long time. I'm glad there's finally some vindication. I hope there will be some accountability to keep this from happening in the future. Dr. Yosef Brody, clinical psychologist and president of the Psychologists for Social Responsibility. Uh, thank you, sir, for, uh, for what your group has been doing for so long, and thank you for joining us today on the broadcast. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet.
Okay, you can get more information, by the way, on Psychologists for Social Responsibility at PSYSR.org. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, lighten things up a bit, I think, I hope, at least, uh, with a little bit of politics and disruption in both the Democratic and the Republican primaries for president. News on Bernie Sanders and, yes, Donald Trump. All straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will get to this uh, Donald Trump news and why it is that Al Franken is to blame for Donald Trump uh, insulting uh, John McCain, uh, as we were calling him, not a war hero over the weekend. We will get to that. But since everyone was putting that up front, well, not the Al Franken part, but everyone was putting uh, the Donald Trump story up front over the weekend. Uh, they were completely ignoring what was going on, as usual, in the Democratic Party. And specifically out in Phoenix, Arizona, where uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders addressed more than 11,000 people, according to Time magazine, in the biggest rally of his campaign in Phoenix on Saturday, uh, building on the growing tide of enthusiasm for his campaign says Sam Frizzell over at uh, over at Time. So not just was it the biggest rally in uh, it, for, for Bernie Sanders. It was the biggest rally for any candidate in the race for president of the United States this year. And it is amazing how they continue to ignore Bernie Sanders. Now, I understand that Donald Trump is sucking up all of the oxygen and he certainly is fun to cover. Um, but, you know, before uh, Donald Trump got in, they were already ignoring Bernie Sanders. It's also true that he remains about 40 percentage points behind Hillary Clinton in the uh, real clear politics average of polls. Those are national polls. Of course, we don't elect our president via national polls. And he is uh, continuing to close the gap, getting closer and closer in both Iowa and New Hampshire to to Hillary Clinton, but he is drawing huge, huge crowds, and that seems like it ought to be a story in and of itself. But it's all being ignored. Well, uh, something else uh, related to Bernie Sanders here. Uh, He was speaking, as I said, in Phoenix at a rally over the weekend. He, along with Governor Martin O'Malley, also a presidential candidate on the Democratic side, you may be shocked to learn, both of them were speaking at the 
Netroots Nation Conference in Phoenix, Arizona over the weekend, which is a group of uh, progressive activists started uh, sort of a spinoff of, of the Daily Coast website. It's gotten much bigger than that, and uh, we've been there a few different times. Didn't get there this year, but uh, they had a president's forum near the end of the uh, near the end of the conference. Um, and Jose Vargas, the uh, um, what is he, formerly with the Washington Post, and he was an undocumented immigrant for years and years. Uh, he was hosting this forum with first Governor Martin O'Malley and then Bernie Sanders, and there was a very long interruption of Governor Martin O'Malley as Black Lives Matter protesters interrupted the conference uh, and really took over the entire event there for about 20 minutes. They came up on stage. They had a sort of kind of a dialogue with, uh, with Governor O'Malley, who was the former Baltimore mayor, that's notable, given the uh, problems we've had in uh, in Baltimore recently with the uh, Freddie Gray killing. He was also the governor of Maryland. In any case, he, he was interrupted. Governor Martin O'Malley, a progressive candidate for president of the United States, was interrupted by these progressive protesters from the Black Lives Matter movement. And this was, uh, well, here, here's a, a minute or two just to give you a flavor of what went on out there in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona over the weekend. So that was a taste of the protest that went on for about 15, 20 minutes at Netroots Nation, the progressive conference in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, host Jose Antonio Vargas doing his best to uh, turn it into a conversation. Governor Martin O'Malley, however, not doing well with his answer that black lives matter, white lives matter, all lives matter, which uh, the uh, the protesters there seem to take as belittling their message. But you know what? This is what democracy looks like. 
and I love it. And frankly, had it been the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which, by the way, is, is I think the only equivalent to the uh, to the Netroots Nation on uh, on the other side. I, I should say the Netroots Nation is really the only equivalent to CPAC, which gets covered on C-SPAN. This that's the right wingers conference where all of the presidential candidates show up. It makes huge news. All the news networks are there. Uh, Netroots Nation despite the fact that it brings in thousands and thousands of uh, progressives, eh, very few people bother to cover it in the uh, in the corporate media. Imagine that. Had that happened at CPAC, you can bet that those goons, uh, security goons, would have been in there escorting those folks out in no time flat. That thing would have been over. That protest would have been over. There would have been no conversation, no discussion, no debate, no live democracy happening on stage. And it continued after Governor Martin O'Malley left the stage as it was Bernie Sanders' turn. And he also was interrupted. And he, unlike Martin O'Malley, I think here, became quite frustrated and uh, eventually ended up uh, leaving the stage, uh, as it was described, without so much as a wave. Uh, Here's a bit more of uh, what happened when Bernie Sanders took the stage at Netroots Nation. We've got some serious things to talk about. We don't have a whole lot of time, so what I'd like to do is just chat for a while, stop, and we're going to do a little bit of a discussion. Yes, please okay. go ahead. The good news is that what most of us believe is exactly what the vast majority of the American people believe. Some of us for years have fought to raise the minimum wage. Some of us believe it should go to 15 bucks an hour. And you know what? Wall Street Journal poll. Wall St- Hold it, hold it, hold it. Okay. I will answer your question, but I'd like to speak for a few minutes. I was told that that... A couple of more minutes, and then we're going to get... Should I continue or leave? Yeah, hold on one second. Hold on, hold on. It's okay with me. Listen, I don't know how black lives, of course, matter. And I spent 50 years of my life fighting for civil rights and for dignity. But if you don't want me to be here... That's okay. You were on the stage with presidential candidates, but you weren't necessarily invited to be there. What happened? The program itself and the structure of the conference wasn't really lending itself to this very important conversation. I came away with the impression that, you know, they have a lot of homework to do, and I hope that they're ready to, uh, you know, really sit down and listen and talk to these communities, right, and come up and build their platform with these communities. After what happened today at Netroots Nation, he came and spoke to a small gathering of Latino activists. They're connected to the conference, and he revisited some of the questions about racial injustice and inequality. How do you see addressing racial justice? I wish I could tell you that I had a magical formula on how to end racism. It's gone on in this country from before it was America. And we've just got to figure out the goal I think that we all share, I would hope that all decent-minded Americans share, is how do we create a society which ends discrimination? How do we best deal with racism in America? Tell me. I mean, I'm asking questions here. We are making some progress, but we've got to accelerate that progress. 
So that was some of the disruption that took place. And uh, again, I think it was fantastic. Uh, on the stage, I believe that was uh, Tia Oso, uh, who, who was sort of leading some of that uh, chant- chanting. She's the director from the Black Alliance for Just Immigration. And then she's the national director. Um, I think it was fa- fantastic. I think it was fascinating. I know that a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters were upset by it. But um, again... This is what democracy looks like, and you can imagine, uh, this was uh, Chris Savage wrote a great piece about this at, over at Eclecta Blog. Sitting in the middle of this maelstrom was a fascinating experience, Chris Savage wrote. I, like many of the others here, was initially irritated by the protesters. I was there to hear the candidates and was frustrated they weren't, that they weren't being heard. Even a bit angry, in fact. These are your allies, I thought. Why on earth are you attacking them? Why are you disrupting an event where the people there are sympathetic to your cause? The response, frustration, anger, being silenced. Frustration, anger, silenced, talked over, ignored. Every single one of these emotions that ran through my white privileged brain in the first few moments of the protest until I was slapped across the face with what I was being forced to confront. Every single one of these emotions are felt acutely and painfully every single day by racial minority groups in our country. But instead of being inconvenienced by not being able to hear a politician speak, they face them in the context of being slaughtered in the streets by the police officers who are tasked to protect them, incarcerated in astonishingly disparate numbers and blamed for not being able to escape from the prison of poverty that holds far too many of them in bondage. After that realization, Chris Savage writes, my perception of the event changed 180 degrees. From that moment on, I saw what was happening in front of me with new eyes. The black and brown people around me were on their feet, chanting, demanding to be heard. The white people around me were sitting, looking frustrated, angry, silenced, talked over, ignored. You know how that feels, don't you? Quick break, and we're back with Donald Trump, who is never ignored, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, Boy, uh, yeah. Donald Trump, right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, it's the Donald Trump news I know you've been waiting for because apparently that's all they had to talk about all weekend long on all of the network news outlets. Donald Trump insults John McCain because uh, says he's not really a war hero after all. Now, John McCain was uh, shot down flying combat missions in Vietnam in 1967. He was taken captive with a broken right leg, fractures in both arms, beaten and tortured repeatedly over about five and a half years, uh, in part because his father commanded the U.S. Navy in the Pacific. So I'll let you decide who is a war hero and who isn't. But here's what Donald Trump had to say when he was being interviewed by Frank Luntz, uh, speaking of right-wingers. Uh, Frank Luntz, uh, here, here's Trump lying about having 15,000 people at one of his uh, crowds, but here's what he went on to say. John McCain goes, oh boy, Trump makes my life difficult. He had 15,000 crazies show up, crazies. He called them all crazy. I said, they weren't crazy. 
they were great Americans. These people, if you would have seen these people, you, I know what crazy is. I know all about crazies. These weren't crazy. So he insulted me, and he insulted everybody in that room. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. And a half years He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you He's agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured, okay? You could have, and I believe perhaps he's a war hero, but, but right now he said some very bad things about a lot of people. Okay, so Donald Trump has since refused to apologize for that. Uh, and uh, every single uh, Republican in the race now has, has uh, come out against Donald Trump. They think this is their chance to finally get him out. He's gone a bridge too far, insulting veterans, insulting John McCain, of all veterans who faced torture for all of those years. Now, it needs to be pointed out a couple of things. One, um, you know, and, and John Kerry was one of the people who came out against uh, what Donald Trump had to say. So uh, Christine Pelosi, daughter of Nancy Pelosi, uh, who is herself a, uh, a an activist, progressive Democratic Party activist, um, and great on Twitter, by the way. You should follow her. She said, good on Kerry for defending McCain's record. Now, if only the same GOP voices attacking Trump would apologize to John Kerry and Max Cleland. John Kerry was, of course, mercilessly attacked in uh, 2008 when he or 2004 when he ran for president and uh, the Republican Party attacked his war record despite having won. Uh, John Kerry won something like five medals. They also attacked uh, Max Cleland, a senator from Georgia who lost three limbs in Vietnam back in uh, they attacked him in 2002, comparing him to Osama bin Laden. That's the way the Republican Party rolls. Now, all of a sudden, they're upset when one of their own uh, is is questioned. Their war record is questioned. I'm not questioning John McCain's war record. I'm questioning the Republicans who are suddenly upset about it. That said, it's worth noting that uh, Al Franken may be to blame for for what Donald Trump said. Okay, how? I, I'm game. How? You don't under. I yeah, have okay. no clue what you're talking All about. All right, Senator Al Franken from Minnesota. Before he was senator, of course, he was a satirist. He was best known back in the year 2000 for having written uh, what was the name of that book? Uh, Rush Limbaugh is a big fat idiot. Very smart book. Very funny book. Very sharp book uh, a satirical book and in 2000 he was asked by salon along with a, a bunch of other people what they thought uh, about the the candidates who were running at the time and of course that was when they were uh J john mccain was initially running against george w bush back in 2000 and of course they were attacking john mccain at that time not for his war record i don't think but just for other inappropriate attacks uh, but they were asking, you know, people what they thought of the race, what they thought of John McCain and so forth. And uh, Al Franken was one of the people that was asked. This was before he was a very serious senator. And while he was still a very funny Saturday Night Live writer and uh, satirist and so forth. Now, here's what John uh, what Donald Trump said about John McCain. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured. Now, when I heard that. I wasn't offended by it, but I thought, well, that's actually that's actually kind of funny. I like people that weren't captured. I, I thought, well, that seems like it's actually a joke that is written as a joke. And sh did he come up with that by himself? Never mind whether you're offended or not. If you're a satirist, that's kind of funny. I like people that weren't captured when it comes to war heroes. 
Well, it turns out it was a joke, and it was written of a sort by uh, by Al Franken, who wrote in response uh, to Salon in 2000. He said almost the exact same words. He said, I don't buy the war hero thing. Anybody can be captured. I thought the idea was to capture them. As far as I'm concerned, John McCain sat out the war. <laughs> oh, man. Right? Okay. That is satire. Biting so- satire. Sharp. Biting satire, but kind of funny. Pretty much word for word what Al Franken said. He, I knew he had to come up with it from somewhere because it's kind of funny, whether you're offended or not, uh, to talk about a war hero in those terms, at least for those of us who, who like satire, who like biting satire, who like sharp satire, uh, and also who like to see hypocrites called out on the carpet. Those hypocrites are now in the Republican Party who didn't give a damn when other war heroes were attacked as so long as they were Democrats. But now that it's a Republican war hero, oh boy, Donald Trump, he's got to drop out of the race. Well, I don't think he's going to drop out of the race. We'll see if this is the bridge too far. I thought it would be a bridge too far when Donald Trump paid actors to show up at his announcement speech. I thought it might be a bridge too far when he called uh, Mexicans rapist. So we'll see if this is Donald Trump's bridge too far. As far as I know, the only thing that's going to get Donald Trump out of the race is Donald Trump. We'll see if this turns out to be it. Uh, anyway, my thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. To my guest today, Dr. Yosef Brody of Psychologists for Social Responsibility. They are at PSYSR.org. We'll be with you again uh, very soon. Same Brad time, same Brad channel. Until then, you can reach me via email, bradcast at bradblog.com, or on the Twitters and Facebooks. I am the Bradblog over there. And, of course, you can find me at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Thank you.